What's up, everybody? Welcome to Three Wide in the Middle, your home course for all things racing. With me, Thomas Brandon. No Keith um, right now. Um, a man's not here uh, at this moment. Uh, something's come up. So, but we gotta gotta continue with the pod because we do have a bunch of things to cover, and we're gonna be diving into it today. But before we get into those other topics, I. I got to cover something in the open today because it, it re watching the race this last weekend at Talladega reminded me of something, um, that happened a few years ago in the NFL. You might be thinking, well, how the hell does NASCAR relate to the NFL? But let me just give me a moment to explain, because I remember back in 2019, when the New Orleans Saints played the Los Angeles Rams in the NFC Championship game. And there was a horrible non-call during the game. The Saints had the ball. They were marching down the field. Uh, Drew Brees threw a pass to one of his wide receivers. And the wide receiver got absolutely blown up before the ball got there. It was, in my opinion, the worst non-call in the history of sports. It was it was that bad. It was that egregious. Not only was it just a clear-cut case of pass interference, the cornerback also hit the receiver who was, according to the NFL's rules, defenseless, and it was helmet to helmet. It should have been uh, multiple penalties, okay? This cost the Saints the game. And there was a huge backlash because of this. It caused literally nationwide hysteria. It was on every news channel was talking about it, not just sports, right? I mean, you had Good Morning America. I mean, just all of them were talking about this. It was a big, big deal. And the NFL had to react. They had to react. They had to do something because they could not allow this situation to happen again. And I remember thinking when I was hearing that now that they were going to start doing instant replay reviews of pass interference calls, I remember thinking this is going to suck. It's just, it's going to suck. Okay. Do we, do we need to go this far? Right? Like that's what I was worried about. Okay, it would be one thing if they said, hey, look, man, in the the in the playoffs and the Super Bowl, we will review these calls. But do we need to do it in every game? Right. Do we need to do it all the time? Right. This was my concern, because at this point, replay was already a pain in the ass. Okay, it sucked. All right. I've talked about this before. Okay, but you always hear it from the pro repay people where they say like, hey, man, just want to get it right. Well, I would love to get it right, too. The problem is they get it wrong most of the time, even after the replays, and it takes forever. It was an absolute overreaction to a horrible situation, but it happened, and now we are living with that in the NFL. If you watch a game, there's a ton of replay incidents where they don't get the call right. It takes forever. The NFL, even though it is hands down the most popular sport in the United States of America, it has literally turned into a commercial viewing experience with 
small breaks of NFL football in between. That's what it feels like when you watch an NFL game now. It it's just the, I understand it because of the money, the biz. I understand all that. It doesn't mean that I have to like it. Okay. I was thinking of this last Sunday when I was watching the race at Talladega because NASCAR made a very similar mistake when they designed the Gen 7 car, the current Gen car that we have right now, the next gen, right? And we've seen this song and dance happen before. Now, before I start bashing this car, understand I, I have been a huge proponent of this car on a lot of fronts. I love the fact that this car has ran so well at the mile and a half because keep in mind, those are the most, that, that type of track is what we race at the most, right? If you look at the NASCAR schedule, there are more of those, you know, intermediate super speedways on the track or on the schedule than any other track out there. All right. Um, it's been probably one of the worst forms of racing over the last five years in NASCAR, right? The mile and a half tracks have sucked and we have seen a multitude of changes to combat this. This is where stage racing came in. It's where we saw the high downforce, low horsepower packages, right? Let's just get them all bunched up so every race can be like a Daytona or a Talladega, right? We've seen all these different changes. And when this car came out and they decided to go with a low downforce, high horsepower package, I was all for it. And we have seen some incredible racing at those tracks. But when it comes to the restrictor plate racing or the short track racing, really the two types of racing that NASCAR has is really known for, right? When you think when I'm mean, at least when I think of NASCAR, I think of the short tracks and I think of Daytona and Talladega, right? Yes, I loved old Atlanta and I loved, you know, old Michigan before they paved it or Charlotte, right? I loved those tracks and they were unique and special and they had awesome racing at them. The problem that I've had with them recently is we've got so many of those tracks on the schedule now, it's not unique anymore, right? It's just another mile and a half with a dog leg or a trioval, right? Like, I mean, do we have to, do we have to have so many of those on the schedule? So to have this car perform that well at these tracks has been a blessing, but we've seen this season a lot of glaring problems with this car and it shows us the overreaction that NASCAR had in designing this car and that's been my biggest issue with it from the start when NASCAR said that they were going to be developing this Gen 7 car my fear was we were going to relive the days of the COT and for those of you who probably remember, the COT was the car of tomorrow. This was the answer to the problem after Dale Earnhardt's death. Right? Remember, Dale Earnhardt dies in Daytona, and all of a sudden, it's we need a safe, we need a safer car. We got safer barriers, but we need a safer car, and we got the car of tomorrow. And what was it? It was this ugly shoebox. They put this wing on the back of it. It was it. 
it was an absolute disgrace. And we saw this huge, just ridiculous swing in terms of the way these cars were looked at. If you remember with the COT, this is where we really started seeing a lot of this whole coil binding which is fine, but you had teams spending millions of dollars trying to figure out the best way to use a $2 bump stop. It was absolutely ridiculous. The racing was not good, and fortunately for us, that car was not allowed around for very long. It moved, they moved on to a better version. And we've seen this over the years, right? As we got all the way up to last year's car, which was the Gen 6. And the Gen 6 was a very, very good car in terms of the aerodynamics. It was the most aerodynamically advanced car we've ever had in NASCAR. All right Now, it did not look anything like a stock car <laughs> or a production car, which was the whole point of NASCAR, right? Because you've got the left side flat and the right side protruding out and the cars, you know, going down the straightaway and it looks like it's crab walking because it's yawed out by five degrees. You know, it's just that was ridiculous. But race teams are going to do what they need to do to be fast. So that was understandable. And NASCAR wanted to fix the, those issues, right? Because we saw once you got behind another car, once you've had, you know, that you, you would get that arrow push, right? One of the worst things that has ever happened in NASCAR racing is arrow push, right? I hate that term because it sucks. You get a run on somebody. Now all of a sudden you can't pass them because you get arrow, you get an arrow push. It absolutely sucks. And it's one of the things that I, that really drove me away from NASCARs for NASCAR for years was because the racing got so bad. And that's always been the biggest thing for me is good racing. I just want to see good racing. With this Gen 7 car, what we have seen is we have seen once again an overreaction, in my opinion, by NASCAR. Did we have to go to the opposite end of the spectrum with the car, right? Independent suspension. That's awesome. I love it. But did we have to go independent suspension with, you know, $50,000 carbon fiber floor and rub blocks with diffuser with a body and a chassis that is so stiff that drivers are getting concussions when they back it into the wall? Did we have to go that far? Did we have to go single source supplier for 90% of the parts? Did we have to go sequential shifting and transaxle? Did we have to go with all of the stuff that has been a problem this year? Did we have to do it all at once? Now, I don't obviously work at NASCAR. NASCAR could give a damn about my opinion. But I raised the question because we saw this before with the COT, and then we had to spend years getting back to something that was a NASCAR, right? A NASCAR that we knew it as. Unfortunately, the days of my favorite period, which was the late 80s, early 90s, is gone. We'll never go back to that again. Those days are gone forever. But the car that we have now, the issues that are, that are presenting itself are big. They're not small. Because we can't just go out and fix, this is not an issue like we could tackle before. You see, remember before 
with every other car that we've had before in the modern era, era, NASCAR could say, hey, look, this is the new rule. This is the new requirement. Now go do it. They can't do that now. These guys aren't building these cars, right? These teams don't build, they, 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 they assemble them. There's a few parts that they build, but overall, they don't build these cars. So how do we fix these issues? How do we fix an issue where we've got a car that just doesn't crush like it should? It's way too stiff. And now drivers, when they back into a wall or hit the side or anything, they're at risk of a concussion. Alex Bowman's now out for probably the rest of the season. His season's done because he's got a concussion. Kurt Busch is out for the, for the rest of the year. And those are just the drivers that have been examined and have basically said, look, I, I, I'm, I got my bell wrong. I can't do this. How many drivers are out there do you think that have been in accidents that have a concussion and haven't said anything? And that's just on the safety side of things. Look at the racing side of things. This last week at Talladega, it was one of the most boring super speedway races I've ever seen. And it's obviously a multitude of factors, right? You've got drivers who are like, look, man, I'm not wanting to push it to the max because I'm afraid of wrecking in this car at 200 miles an hour at Talladega. But you've also got the situation where these cars don't draft good. The package is not very good. The car has not been very good in these situations, right? Basically, it was whoever is, is the first car on the high line or the low line, who can give them the best push. That's what we saw. And credit to Chase Elliott because he did what he had to do, made the move, got the lead, and won the race. So hats off to him. But the, the majority of the race was horrible. I loved Daytona and Talladega because you could see stuff there that you would not see at any other track. That was always the beauty of those races. Watching Dale Earnhardt go from 14th to 1st in three laps was incredible. And you could only see that at a track like Talladega or Daytona. Right? You could only see that there. Right? Watching those old restrictor plate races from just a few years ago, the racing was incredible. Talladega is what? A, a five-lane, six-lane track? I mean, we used to see three and four wide there. Now it was basically two lanes the entire race. And any time you got someone trying to get that outside lane going, it just fell off. You could not get the momentum. The cars do not race the way they should. And now we're going to be heading to a track like the Roval, which apparently that's what these cars are made for, right? They're made for road courses and they've been good on the road courses. They've been pretty good. But NASCAR is this isn't IMSA. Okay, these aren't GT3 cars. If I wanted to watch a bunch of road course racing, I would go watch IMSA. Or I would watch what I watch now, F1 on Sunday mornings. I don't want to see that when I watch NASCAR. What I want to see is oval track racing, right? I want to see short track racing, good short track racing, not short track racing where you can screw up downshift and be gone and it makes up for every mistake that you create. That's not what I want to see. 
And so NASCAR's got some big problems that are going to have to be solved this offseason. And the bad thing is, is they're only going to have a couple of months to do it. And I don't know how much they're going to be able to accomplish in that time. And it makes me wonder if this car is the start of a whole new generation in terms of what we saw like with the car tomorrow, where they just continued to change it and change it. And we ended up with six generations of it, right? Or if it's going to be a one-off and in a few years, we're going to have something completely different once again, because to me, and I'm probably alone on this, but I remember when they rolled out the current Xfinity series car a few years ago. And I remember saying, that's the car that should be in the cup series. I'm like, that's the car that should be in the cup series. It looks like the production cars. It's got that, you know, the it's got the composite body, the whole the whole thing, right? But what NASCAR's been trying to accomplish, yes, it's still on the the smaller wheels and tires, and it doesn't have the the independent suspension, and you know, the aerodynamics is you know the overbody aero and the aero push is still a bit of an issue. But NASCAR could have very easily gone to something like that and thrown a diffuser on it and panned the bottom to handle the whole aerodynamic issue. Did we really need to build something completely different from the ground up? Because for as much as we want these things to be like production cars, they stopped being that 50 years ago, right? When the modern era rolled into play, right? The days of these being production cars ended. We haven't had that in a very, very long time. The whole saying of win on Sunday, sell on Monday died when the modern era came into play because I know of no person for as, as hardcore as racing fans are. And I've said this a million times. I know of dozens of people, dozens of people who will drink Budweiser because of Dale Earnhardt Jr. to this day that will literally use interstate batteries because they were a Bobby Labonte fan. People that used DuPont paint because of Jeff Gordon. People who shop at Lowe's because of Jimmy Johnson. That is a fact. I know a ton of people like that. And you don't see that in other sports. I know of no person who says, no, no, no. I only drink Pepsi because that's the official official soft drink of the Dallas Cowboys. I know of nobody who does that. In racing, you see that. I also know people who drive Chevys or root for Chevy drivers because they drive Chevys. But I've never once seen a person go, you know what? That Jimmy Johnson, he's looking good. I'm going to go buy a Chevy tomorrow. So this whole notion of the this, this whole, we got to make these things stock cars that they died a long time ago. Make them NASCARs. Right, I get it. Stock cars in the whole acronym. I get it. Please don't send me your emails. I know, but I'm just saying these are race cars. We stopped pretending that these were production cars when the modern era came into play. So NASCAR, whatever it is that you've got to do to make these things safer and get them racing better, do it. Because I'm really scared that we're going to start back down the path that the COT took us on 
decades ago. And I can tell you right now, for the first time in a long time, I'm ex- I've been excited about NASCAR racing, and it scares me that that could potentially happen once again to a sport that I really, really loved. All right, so it is now time for our hit or miss segment of the show. Now, um, Keith is not here today, so I'm going to be doing this solo. And um, I've got the stuff that I came up with this week. We've only got a few things to cover. Um, if, in terms of a week for Keith to miss, this is a it's a good week um, for him to miss. But we do have a few things um, going on in the world of racing, both uh, NASCAR, World of Outlaws, you know, all of it. But we're going to be diving into the hit or miss. And up first, we've got the Las Vegas. So Las Vegas has Chase Elliott being the odds on favorite to win this weekend at the Roval. And that is correct. So hit or miss on that. I'm going to say that that hits the mark. Um, I do believe Chase Elliott should be the odds on favorite to win this week. That does not mean I think he will win. Um, I'm looking at this as more of a handicapper. So those of you guys who don't know, I actually handicap sports, um, specifically the NFL. That's the sport that I do. I'm actually up this year, uh, or I should say this season, I'm hitting about 64%. So I actually handicap um, sports. I do have a rating system for the NASCAR drivers. You guys have heard me talk about it before. Uh, and when it comes to these road courses, I have a rating system for that as well. So I have an overall rating system and then one that I break down based on different types of tracks, um, road courses being one of them. Uh, Chase Elliott is the odds on favorite in in my opinion. Um, I don't know if that means he's going to win though. Keep in mind when it comes to odds, Vegas, what they're doing, Vegas is trying to make money. Okay. Their odds are based on public perception. So, it's hard to do in terms of something like a NASCAR race. You see it more in, in like head, head-to-head sports like the NFL. So you could have two teams playing each other. Like let's just say you've got the, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills, right? Which are probably the two best teams in the NFL, at least the two best teams in the AFC. And you could have the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, as a two-point underdog to the Buffalo Bills. And when you look at everything on paper and you look at how they've done in the win-loss and all that stuff like that, you would look at that and be like, well, actually, Kansas City is better. They should actually be a two-point favorite, not a two-point underdog. Why is that the case? Well, the bookmakers, Vegas, they do that because they are looking to play to the money. So if a bunch of money has come in on the Buffalo Bills, well, now they're going to change those odds to get some more money on the Chiefs. At the end of the day, Vegas just doesn't want to lose. They charge a VIG. If they could get a 50-50 split on both sides and then just make money off the VIG, right? Like, well, that's a that's a heck of a of a business model. You know what I mean? So when it comes to making odds for this, Chase Elliott is on fire right now. He's got five wins on the season. He just won at Talladega. He does very, very well at these road courses, including the Roval. Um, Last year, Kyle Larson won it, but Chase Elliott, if you remember, was running up in the top five most of the race. So yes, he should be the odds on favorite. Will he win? I don't know, but he should be the odds on favorite. So moving on. Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers 
penalty of a $100,000 fine, 100 driver points, and 100 owner points was an appropriate penalty for modifying a single source part. I'm going to say this hits the mark. Um, I just talked about in the open kind of my disdain for these single source parts, but the rule is the rule. And if NASCAR doesn't want these guys modifying it, they've got to drop the hammer on this. This was an L2 penalty. We saw something similar about this earlier in the year with Brad Keselowski, even though Keselowski's situation was them doing it out of necessity because of the shortage of parts. Um, we also saw this with Denny Hamlin when they put the tape under the uh, wrap of their car. And that gave them, I want to say it was three or four points of arrow. Like the arrow advantage was extremely small, but there was still an advantage. And NASCAR's trying to crack down on these rules. They've got to drop the hammer on these on these uh, situations when they come up. I don't know what part they modified. I tried to find out. All I can find is a single source part, but shoulders will be out for four races. Kevin Harvick was docked 100 driver points. Stuart Haas was dry, uh, docked 100 owner points. And then there was a $100,000 fine. So they've been very strict on this all year long. Once again, when these penalties come, they've got to literally maintain that. You cannot open the door because if you do, that's gonna that's when that gray area comes about. And then we start seeing more and more issues like this. So for me, that hits the mark. They've got to stay consistent on that. All right, next one we've got is Alex Bowman's concussion has shown us that NASCAR needs to make significant changes to the Gen 7 car. I just covered this in the open. Absolutely, 100%. This hits the mark. Um, not just Bowman's concussion, but Kurt Busch's concussion. Um, all the issues that we've seen when it comes to this car and these drivers complaining about the the violence of the hits, the nature of the hits, right? We, I, I brought up before uh, um, Bubba Wallace at, at Daytona, right? Got bump drafted and knocked the wind out of him. That's ridiculous, okay? that That's ridiculous. So they've got to come up with something. Uh, I know that NASCAR has been working on a new rear clip for this car. The problem is, is the, the rear end of this car is so different than anything we've had before when you look at you know back in the you know the previous gen car you had the solid rear axle right you had that basically it was just a four nine inch rear end is what they had in it right obviously they do things to it because it was for a nascar but in a, essentially just a four nine inch rear end it's typically what it is and you had a fuel cell back there right you got some springs, your shocks, track bar, trailing arms, right? Like now with this independent rear suspension, you've got these coilover shocks. You've got the wider wheels. They also shortened, right? Aspects of the car, right? The rear deck. And then you've got this fuel cell, which is bigger. I believe it's bigger. It's a couple of gallons bigger than the previous one. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it is bigger. I think this one was 20 gallons and the last one was like 18 and a half. Um, if I, I might be wrong on that, but, um, and you've got, you know, rear ARBs in these things that they run all the time. Keep in mind, it used to be, you know, if you had a rear anti-roll bar on the car, that was only for like road courses. Okay. 
they, you weren't running that. Now, you know, you always had a front sway bar, but you didn't have that on the rear. Now they've got front and rear sway bars in these cars. So there's a lot of stuff happening in that rear end. With If that rear end crushes and punctures the fuel cell, you're going to have a, a huge problem. Right, A concussion is going to be the least of the driver's worries, but there has to be a way to prevent these things from being so stiff that the driver is what's taking all the force because that's what's happening right now. So NASCAR is developing a new rear clip. They are going to be going to the track and doing some testing from everything that I've seen uh, here this weekend, but this is not something that's going to be resolved before this season is over. And hopefully they'll get things figured out and have these issues resolved before next season. That's what I'm hoping for. I really am. You know, we all love to complain about stuff. That's just human nature. That's just who we all are. I do it. You do it. We all do it. And like I said in the open, there's a lot of stuff that I really like about this car. And there's been some things that I really don't like about it. Uh, the safety thing has got to be fixed. This this issue has to be resolved. We cannot have drivers having accidents and, you know, take just an absolute beating the way that they're taking right now. You just can't do it, right? When drivers talk about when when, when fear of wrecking is is absolutely at the forefront of their mind going into a race. That you can't have that. I I have seen this firsthand in all the years that I did racing and was involved in racing. I've seen drivers who lost their edge and couldn't do it no more for whatever reason. I mean, it's it's not a ton of them, but I've I've seen it happen where they have a horrible accident and then the next time that they're in the car, they can't run up on the wall no more. They can't hang it out like they used to. And now it's it's at the forefront of their mind and they're running scared. They're driving scared, which I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of times you can't you can't fault them for it. But when that happens, you can't race. You know, Art and Senna said it best. If there's a gap and you do not take it, you are no longer a race car driver. And if that is no matter what the reason is that you don't take it. Fear lack of skill, right? Diminishing, you know, reaction times, whatever it is, doesn't matter. And if it's because of fear, that's a big problem. So NASCAR needs to get this figured out um, because it's, it's a problem and drivers are concerned about it. And that's the last thing that they need to be concerned about. All right, next one, we've got last weekend's cup race at Talladega was the worst Talladega race in the last 20 years. This is an absolute hit uh, bullseye on the nose. It just um, this was this was the the worst Talladega race I've I've seen. Um, I, I would say this is the worst Talladega race I've seen in my lifetime. I've been watching NASCAR since I was probably six years old. Um, obviously when I was that young, I think I was actually maybe five, but obviously when I was that young, I don't remember all the races. I remember bits and pieces of it, but I don't remember all the races. Um, I start really remembering the races, uh, you know, 88, 89, 90, you know, when I'm eight, eight years old, nine years old. And 
I remember watching these races and they were exciting. They were incredible. Now, back then, if you remember, right, you know, those days of, you know, Bill Elliott doing 220 miles an hour or whatever. I mean, those days are long gone, but the racing was exciting and it wasn't the huge packs like we have now. You know, the cars used to get spread out. Now you would still have a pack of cars drafting, but it would be a handful. It wasn't the entire field like it is now. And they were exciting. Um, the race that we had this last Sunday was pretty boring. It was, it was boring. Um, I did not enjoy it. And I've heard arguments and well, it opens up for different strategies and stuff. I don't want to see that. Okay. I enjoy the strategy aspect of a NASCAR race. I do. I enjoy the strategy aspect of a race in, in you know, in formula one, but I don't want that to be the end all be all in terms of the deciding factor of who wins the race, right? It's cool. If you see a driver win on tire strategy every once in a while, or if they get, you know, the, the most fuel mileage in a race, right? Like that's a cool thing. I remember years ago, Ryan Newman won like five races one year and like, like four of them were just, were like fuel mileage where he had just like, they had like figured something out where they could just get better fuel mileage than everybody. And that's cool. Once or twice when it's a recurring theme, it kind of sucks. I want to see the, the best all around, car driver and team not somebody who can play the fuel mileage game like if i want to see that i'll go out and see how much fuel mileage i can save on the freeway like i don't want to watch that on the racetrack so this it 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 was boring it was just boring because there there was nothing happening other than which line could push the first car out further that's all it seemed to be to me and you know i i just i didn't enjoy it it was absolutely horrible in my opinion. So next one, we've got Christopher Bell. So after being a heavy favorite at the start of the round of 12, remember Christopher Bell at the start of the, at the round of 12, he was in the points lead and was trending up, like was on fire, got through the round of 16 on fire. Um, he is now 12th in points and he will not make the round of eight. Does this hit or miss the mark? I'm going to actually say that this, and technically he's not 12th. I, I got that wrong. He's 11th in points. Bowman is 12th because Bowman, I think actually Bowman is 12th. Yeah, because Bowman didn't race this last weekend. But anyways, uh, Bell's 11th. He's, he's below the cutoff line by 33 points. I'm going to say that this Hits the mark, but actually, you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say it misses the mark. I think Bell gets to the round of eight. Yeah, I think Bell gets to the round of eight. If I look at who's in, I think Christopher Bell's going to have an awesome run at the Roval. Yeah, I think I think Bell's going to have a good run at the at the Roval. Christopher Bell could absolutely win the race this week at the Roval. Um, the kid can drive, man. He, he's got, when it comes to just like raw talent, he's got a ton of it. Um, he can drive. So I think he'll make the round of eight. I think he's going to have an awesome race this weekend. He's going to pretty much have to win the race. Um, I think if he gets a podium and I think he can make it if he gets a, 
the top three. I'd have to I'd have to break the points down, but um, yeah, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say he he makes the round of eight. I'm gonna take a take a shot in the dark on that one and see if I get lucky. <laughs> Anyways, moving on to our last hit or miss. Um, with just eight races to go and a 94-point lead in the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Division, Brad Sweet will win his fourth straight championship this season. I'm going to say that hits the mark. Um, it was looking like Sweet was vulnerable. There was a time where, if you remember, me and Keith both thought that Sheldon Hoddenshield had a very good chance to potentially win the championship. I actually thought going into the summer that Sheldon Hoddenshield was going to be um, the man to beat. He was on an absolute roll. He was just on fire. He was winning everything. If you remember, he had won like three out of four races or something like that. I mean, it was something insane, the run that he had gone on. Um, he's got, you know, nine wins on the season. Um, and he was looking to be a legit challenger. The other one was Carson Macedo. You know, Carson Macedo has always been someone who kind of started off slow and got better as the season went on. Um, he got off to a quick start and was continuing it. And he's got 11 wins on the season. I thought he had a very good shot at it as well. And, and mathematically they're still in it, but I don't see it happening. Um, Gravel's second place in points right now, and he's 94 points back. Sweet has done very, very well the second half of the season. He's got five wins on the season right now, 36 top fives, 53 top tens. He's got more top fives than any other driver, and he's tied with Gravel for top tens. Um, the, the guy's consistent, man. He's just consistent, and... The issues that they were having at the beginning of the season, they were having them and they were still able to hold on to the points lead. And he's just showing how good he is. You know, I mean, we're, we're, we are witnessing a, another legendary run in terms of, you know, the world of outlaw sprint cars, right? When you think about drivers at this level, you know, I think he's going to, you know, boring some kind of crazy issue, right? You know, we're talking, you know, as an injury, an illness, you know, something along those lines. He's going to get the championship. And this will be four straight. And you're talking about being in the company of Kinzer and Schatz. Right, you're, if you're talking about four-time consecutive champions, that's the list. Kinzer and Shots. So we're we're literally witnessing the birth of the next great sprint car champion. You know, I mean, he's I mean he's already shown it. He, he showed that with the third straight championship, but now you know you're talking four. If he gets, you know, I think I think Kenzer's got the record with like six or seven. It's something insane like that. The dude won for like a decade straight or something. But, you know, what Sweet's doing is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And I think he's going to win it this year. And I think he's the favorite to win it again next year. Um, I'm not going to bet against the I'm not going to bet against the guy until somebody else is 
in the points lead and they are leading it for a significant amount of time because um, this year when it looked like things were falling apart and we thought we would see a new champion, uh, we were wrong. I know I was. I was absolutely wrong. I thought it might be the year for, like I said, Sheldon or Carson, um, even Gravel, and I don't think it is. I think Sweet's going to get it again, and he's going to be the odds-on favorite to win it again next year. So we'll see what happens. There's eight races left to go. Um, One of them is the second night of the National Open because that was rained out this last weekend, but they've got Port Royal. They've got um, Williams Grove, and they've got... uh, what did they got lakeside and then i80 and then they've got the world finals they've got three nights of the world finals and that's it that's the end of the season so um a month to go on the season and you know brad sweet is in a very good spot right now very good spot and uh he's looking to wrap up his fourth fourth straight championship and i think he's going to do it all right everybody so to wrap up this week's show we're going to do our goat of the week, which is what we've talked about before. It's kind of my, you know, play on words. I want, I, I'm going a different route this week because it's, um, it's a little bit of a different situation, uh, in, in why I'm doing this. And my goat of the week is going to be Alex Bowman. And the reason why I'm picking him as my goat of the week is, is that, you know, Bowman got the concussion. He's out, you know, but Bowman was, Bowman could have raced. You know, he didn't have to go to the doctor. And when we look at the situation that happened, you know, a week ago with uh, Tua Tungvaloya, uh, the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, where he had been wobbled on Sunday and then he clears the protocols. And we don't know, obviously, how. You know, they just fired one of the doctors. But, and then Thursday night, he gets hammered. And he's on the ground. His his hands are are fencing, which you know, if you guys have ever seen that, it's an absolute horrible thing when someone gets when someone gets knocked out like that. It's it's just it's cringeworthy. I I can't watch the having suffered concussions and knocked myself out before. There's certain things that I cannot see, and that's one of them. Um, when I saw it initially, I, I had to look away and, and I could not I could not look at it. Um, it's it's horrible, and. You know, I heard a lot of people after that happened talk about, you know, we need to protect the players from themselves. You know, the players want to be on the field. A race car driver is no different, right? A race car driver is no different. I could guarantee you right now, if you asked every driver on the grid in any form of racing, their number one fear is to see somebody else in their car. They don't want to lose their ride. And a lot of times you see and you hear about these guys pushing through pain, racing with injuries, and a concussion is no different. And so for Bowman to do what he did and knowingly, right, you realize that he's going to miss races potentially the rest of the season. I think that takes a lot of guts, especially in a in a in a in a sport where we applaud, you know, the the tough guy, right? You know, we we you know you talk about the old school drivers, right? You know, Dale Earnhardt, right? The whole one tough customer, you know, 
out there racing with broken bones and injuries and stuff like that. I mean, NASCAR still has that in it. And so for him to do what he did, uh, you know, knowing that he was probably going to not be cleared and have to miss races and, you know, that type, I think that takes a lot of guts. So I'm making him my go to the week, um, obviously a little bit, a little bit of a different route, but I thought what he did took a lot of guts because I've been in that situation before. Um, I, you know, and I look, and I'm not a professional race car driver, but you know, I did it in high school football. Um, you know, I had worked very, very hard and my sophomore year I'd broken the rushing record and, you know, it was like all league or whatever the awards are. I don't even remember what they are, you know, offensive player of the year, all this other crap going into my junior year. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I had worked really, really hard and, um, my, my dream, my goal was I wanted to get a scholarship and play college football. That was how I was going to go to college was I was going to play sports. Um, and I wasn't going to be going, it's not like I was going to be going to Alabama or USC or something like that. I knew it was going to be a very small college, but I didn't care. I just wanted to, to keep playing and summer ball. I, you know, in summer camp leading to the season, I got hit and got a concussion and blew out my ACL. Now we didn't know it at the time. My knee swelled up to be the size of a basketball. And the rest of that year, I played the entire year. The rest of that year, I played with the blown out ACL. I was a starting running back and I played an entire season. Right, It was like 13 games because we made the playoffs and went to the championship with the blown out knee. We would tape, basically tape my leg together um, every game. And needless to say, to this day, I am not okay. <laughs> I, I, I have a little bit of a limp. I live in pain. My knee is filled with scar tissue and I had six knee operations because of it. So, you know, it's tough to be in that situation. You want to play. You don't, you know, you want to race. You don't want to miss out, right? I didn't want somebody to come in and take my spot. I had worked hard to be the starter. I didn't want to give that up. And, you know, I was a 16-year-old kid in high school. Imagine being a professional NASCAR driver. You worked your whole life and now you've gotten one of the most coveted rides in all of NASCAR, right? You're driving for Rick Hendrick, right? You're in the 88 car at Hendrick Motorsports. There's not too many other cars that you would rather be in than that one. I mean, who's going to want to give that up? Who wants someone else sitting in their seat? Nobody. So for him to do that takes a lot of guts, man. So I applaud him for it. So that's why Alex Bowman is my goat of the week. So you guys, that's going to do it all for this week's episode. Um, thank you guys very much. As always, please download, subscribe. You can find us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and anywhere else you find your podcasts. Um, we will be back next week for another episode of three wide in the middle until then as always i want to wish you a great weekend stay safe take care